Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 272. Today is Sunday the 8th of April 2018. And this is something of a special podcast in that Marissa Feinberg and I recorded this as a Facebook Live to begin with. So you'd be able to find the link to find it, a video version if you'd like, in the show notes. In any event, Marissa Feinberg is a woman of many talents. She's an actress, seasoned marketer, and a consultant, helping companies to drive what she calls the triple bottom why. In essence, it's about aligning your why with your marketing, PR, brand, and digital storytelling. In this conversation with Marissa, we look at how to make that alignment happen. What are some of the keys to making empathic, values-based storytelling, as well as the challenge of cutting through the noise with content distribution? Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. So, Marissa, thanks for coming on board. Uh, I met you at this Model UN uh, event that we were both participated in with um, Ari uh, Zoldman. And... um, is that, that's not right. Ari, yeah. Ari, Ari Zolman. Anyway, uh, we were talking about fake news and trying to figure out what uh, are the best ways to deal with fake news, uh, along with, a, with a parents and teachers. And um, I wanted to get you on board because you have this company that you founded called Triple Bottom Y. So I, would you tell us in your own words who you are and... Um, what you're about. Sure. Um, So my name is Marissa Feinberg, those of you who don't know me. Um, I founded the Triple Bottom Y because I was a social entrepreneur. I had started a co-working space for environmental and social entrepreneurs, and it ended up being acquired. And what I realized over the years that um, while I was not the best uh, co-working business operator, um, I was a good storyteller and marketer. And that was actually what I trained and went to school for and what I did for years before that. And I developed a tool along the way that I I used, but I had not put words to. And so when I launched my business, I called it the triple bottom Y, and I wrote a philosophy paper about it. And ultimately what that means is what we do is we align your personal why, why you get out of bed in the morning, with the why of your organization, why you exist, and the why of your audience, which is always changing. Uh, But typically, it's someone's core customer or community. And when you do that, it highlights your values, which aligns with the triple bottom line, people, planet, and profit, which was the industry that I came from. And so how that manifests is through storytelling. Um, And when I say storytelling, I use it in the sense of marketing, PR, brand, and digital. A lot of people would disagree with me. Um, They would say a story is a book or a movie. But in my mind, growing up, you know, everything had a story. The burger on the menu had a story about it, the short sentence or paragraph. Um, So so that's a a nutshell version of what the Triple Bottom Y is. So, Marissa, I I couldn't help but notice that you have an IMDb page. Yes, I do. Um, I'm also an actress. So I've been acting since I was four years old. My first part was in community theater. I played Bambi's mom. And my line was, uh, oh, Mrs. Rabbit, I would love a cup of coffee. 
And it was really fun, and everyone laughed. And I think at the time, I thought they were laughing at me, which was definitely not fun. Um, but I was pretty hooked on it. It's the kind of artist's rendition where everything's going to come out of a mouth might be a, some kind of critique, but because you know when you're exposing yourself as you are when you're acting, it's always difficult to have a sort of exuberant confidence about how people are going to perceive you, especially at four years old. Right. Well, that's what acting is for, right? To, to put on a mask and, and walk out there and be confident no matter what. So I'm, I'm sure that's got to be a large part of your storytelling prowess and what you've come across. When you're, when you're dealing with this, this notion of bringing the, the, the other whys and the why into business, as you've been rolling it out, what kind of resistance do you face in companies when you start trying to move them off, hey, it's all about profit to what about these other bottom lines that are also important to others? Sure. Well, I think, you know, the, the fun thing is everyone wants to talk about their why. So when I start talking about why people, people usually get on board and they're excited by it. But I do get um, resistance in that some people get kind of lost in how to articulate it. Or some people don't really see the value of this overall storytelling. Um, in their mind, you know, business should be all about profit and it should be all about the product or service that you have and making it really spectacular and, and why put dollars and invest in, in the marketing side. Um, but in my mind, it was always like if a tree falls in the woods and did, if someone saw it, there's that, that expression, if nobody saw it, did it really happen? In my mind, that's how marketing and storytelling is as well. You know, if you have something and no one can see it, it doesn't really exist. And so that's what it's all about is, is getting people to interact, engage, learn, use, and hear that story. So you would say that the, the biggest argument in favor is to help your brand be heard because, because of the storytelling. Right. If, if you have a brand and it's not being heard, it's, it's almost like it doesn't exist. All right. Well, what about the challenges of, a, of, of using resources that are so rare and, and everybody's fighting for? Allocating them to storytelling as opposed to, you know, another promotion in the, in the, in the store. Sure. Um, so something I have available on my website, I have a course in Lean Storytelling, um, which is all about, you know, when you're a startup or if you're in the social enterprise space or even in social innovation, um, you have to have the biggest impact with the leanest resources. So it's not about um, pouring a lot of money into um, one particular strategy and going deeply. Sometimes you need to have a lean strategy across all of your channels. So, for example, you need to have um, your marketing campaign about what you're launching right now, and you can take that message and put it in a PR channel as well. You can use it across your digital. You can use it in your newsletter. So you can take one type of content and have it be used across your channels to really work lean and effective so that you can use your resources wisely. Does that make sense? Right, well it does. I mean, ultimately, hopefully, the idea of successful storytelling will generate or beget bigger budgets. Uh, you don't necessarily need to be doing everything on a bottom, you know, on oh, the back of sure. an envelope. Yeah, and everyone, everyone just starts somewhere. 
Give us some ideas as to what goes into lean storytelling. I mean, what are some of the tricks of the trade to make a, a story more powerful, more amplitude than the, the you know, initial money you put in? Sure. So I think, I think sometimes the trick is, you know, say you've got your core messaging down, right? You've got your three whys. You, you fully behind you, you have your founder story, what you can really stand upon. You've got your organizational why. You also have the why of your customer community. Now you need to get it out there. And so you need to come up with a fourth why and make sure it's aligned. So if you're pitching to, say, a journalist, someone in the media, they're thinking, their why is, you know, how is this story going to shape opinions of my readers or listeners or viewers? Um, what is interesting about this? What is timely? What is newsy? Um, and so if you take the news that you have and you've got, already got it aligned with your various whys and then you put it in the light of what's going to make this timely and newsworthy, then you've got a really good pitch. All right, so I, I can totally get how to articulate a message for media to fit their audience. Maybe we need to back up a bit and, and talk about how to get these whys aligned. Because sure. let's say Simon's put the why on the page, uh, hopefully a few others as well. But getting to these whys, it's an easy word to say, but in reality I think it's a lot harder to actually materialize. It's true. Um, some people, when I sit down with them and we do these exercises, they get it right away, and within an hour we have something great to work with. Um, some people take a few hours to really do some soul-searching and, and put it on paper. So, you know, I have typical questions that we can ask people. Um, so in terms of discovering your own personal why, you can kind of ask yourself, you know, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, what would you do? If you weren't getting paid, um, what are the things that make you tick as a person? So um, we could start by an example. We could ask you, Minter. Um, I can talk about my whys. I don't know what would be a good example here now. Well, what do you, what do you my think? Why is, my, I know what my why is. My why is uh, making sure I, I elevate the debate and connect the dots. That's what sort of gets me out of bed. So anything that I can do to make sure that we're making the world a better place by elevating the debate and by getting people to meet, which creates energy that's positive, that's sort of what makes me get out of bed. So that's how I, that's how I roll. That's beautiful. And then how would that align with the why of let's pick either this podcast or your book? Well, um, in the case of uh, my last book, Future Proof, the initial concept is to how to use technologies to, to drive the business. And yet, what I was hoping to do was more talk about how technologies can be used to drive the business for good, mm -hmm. and therefore not just about making money. So while the initial need is always for the audience, hey, how am I going to survive? How am I going to thrive? How am I going to make money? The idea that we wanted to impregnate into it was how do you make it more meaningful? So meaningful for society, your community, meaningful for your employees who are actually pumping it out, and hopefully more meaningful for your shareholders in the form of material benefit. Sure. And that, you know, how to make this meaningful, is that, say, the, the debate that you're aligning with? Or how would you say that connects to your own personal life? 
Well, um, let's say I've, I've been through my own journey and and uh, found that making money was was fun and and, and interesting up to a point. Mm-hmm. The challenge is at a certain level when you feel like you're doing your umpteenth budget review, you just feel like you're pushing numbers on a page. And and while the product I was selling, I believed in and fervently thought that we were, you know, a very good company at L'Oreal in particular. I was interested in doing more, and therefore it's about getting more meaningfulness into my own life, and and, um, and then wanting to spread that. So that's sort of that's why I left the company and started my own my own business to to spread meaningfulness in a sort of my own way. That's beautiful, um, and th- these are great examples. So now we've got we've got your personal why, we've got the why of your book, and then what about the why of the readers of your book? Well, I so the funny thing is that the why would typically, as Simon uh, would say, uh, is is sort of what was brought brought around by the younger generations. They 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 are always asking, "Why, Papa, did you work for the same company for sixteen years? I mean, what were you thinking?" Uh, it's really all about you know change and projects and having fun and and really you know loyalty to a company. You're a silly oath for thinking about that. So the, the younger generation definitely uh, wants to know more about the purpose of what you're trying to do, not just about enriching shareholders. And then, it, as it turns out, the parents of this younger generation, so my age and up, uh, were being asked these questions by their kids, and, and the answers were pretty vacuous mm. as far as repeating the ones we've been telling or heard from our parents it's like, well, that's just the way it is. And uh, don't you know, it's hard work is what it's all about. And, and actually, uh, they started putting the right seed into the minds of others. So I think that there are a lot of people of my age and, and above who are starting to see, hmm, what is my legacy? I've only got a few more years left. What am I going to do that is going to be more purposeful and, and leave a better mark on this earth? which is a different kind of space, I might add, to the people, you know, the younger in between us who have just written out a 20-year mortgage, have young kids, got to pay the private school bills or whatever, you know, bills in general, and and they have a a greater pressure on their performance and money. So they don't kind of have this sort of virtual luxury Uh of feeling that it's more about these other bottom lines, Marissa, than this profit bottom line. Okay. I love that. Um, so that all aligns really well. So there we have a really good example of how these, these different whys connect. And then if you're trying to get the word out about your book, um, you know, how would you say make it newsworthy today? Well, funny you should ask. <laughs> sort of getting, getting distribution of great stories is, is nothing... Uh, short of extremely hard. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, Marissa, I feel, and I'd love to have your opinion on how to do better, sure. that even though you might craft a great story, even though it might be timely, even, let's say, necessary for the audience you're trying to get to, I mean, quote-unquote necessary, at least in, in Minter's head, the fact is that everyone's busy, all the yep. channels are polluted, and getting the story out in a form at the time that they want in a way that's consumable uh, when they want it is, is so, so much harder because you would have thought that after doing all the hard work, 
you know, you write the book, you write, I do the film, The Last String Home, and, and I want to get out. And it's just the distribution channel. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, well, part of that you've unlocked here today, right? Because you've become a content creator and you've created your own news and you have a podcast here, which is, you know, the best um, way to get content out now is to just create it yourself because if other people are, are writing about it and distributing it, you can't really control the message as well. So that's one thing is, is to create the content that you want to see in the world out there. Um, and then I would say, you know, it's, it's a long game. Um, so, for example, you know, if you're getting it out there to journalists, just figuring out how to engage all of these different audiences uh, with various points of your messaging and to, to keep um, retooling it and recrafting it based on what the why of that particular outlet is and what that readership is all about um, and what kind of value you can add to that media platform. Um, you know, one thing that you have that's, that's really amazing is, you know, you have the ability to create content. You've written a book. Um, and all of these media outlets, if we're talking about media, they all need content, and they have less money to create content than ever. So if you have something of value to contribute, you can be a contributor to these various platforms and get the word out. It's a lot of work to create this content, but you can keep repurposing the content that you have from your book and also keep looking at what's going on in the news to figure out what is your take on it, what is the future proof take on it or the mentor dial take on what's happening. Um, and that way you get not only to create your own content channel like on your podcast, but you can benefit from the traffic that's already on these various media channels. All right. So, Marissa, you and I are patently aware of reversing of roles in this lovely conversation, uh, which is highly amusing and, of course, probably leads or shows up the fact that you have this journalist background and our high empathy. So um, let's we'll just push this one back a second because okay. in, in you've got great listening skills and, uh, and obviously good interrogative skills as well. What, what you, one of the things you talk about is, is creating empathic uh, stories or in values-based storytelling. And, and I, I think of that must obviously relate the benefit of doing that is that once you've got that kind of a story, people are going to want to share it and get to that distribution need that I was talking about just now. But let's, let's, if you unpack, how does one create empathic values-based storytelling? What does that look like in terms of a company that's trying to, you know, let's say, create that great content? Sure. So a lot of it is similar to the why process in that by by stepping outside of your own why and into your audience's why, no matter where you are and what's happening, that is empathic, right? Because empathy is all about stepping into the shoes of others. So even if you've created a great pitch about a product or service that you have, um, you need to take a moment and figure out how does this relate to who I'm talking to? So you think about, you know, what is the role of the person you're talking to? Am I talking to another founder? Am I talking to an employee? Um, am I talking to a journalist, a prospective investor? You know, what are, what are they trying to get out of this? What is the possible collaboration point? Um, so, for example, when I was running a co-working space, you know, my why as a person is about inspiring and connecting people so that they and their communities can grow and thrive. Um, and how I did that, how I do that now is through storytelling, but how I did that then was really through community. 
So either way, my why is being fulfilled because I am serving to connect others and they are ideally growing and thriving with these tools and resources at their fingertips. Um, but they're also being supported in their businesses. So they had socially responsible companies, change makers, looking to make an impact in, in health, environment, education, poverty, all these various issues. Um, so by stepping into their shoes, I understand their needs, right? They are probably low-resourced. Um, you know, it's always a battle to raise money in this world, even though more and more money is going into the impact investing space. So they want to be smart about their resources, but they also want to grow, so they want education. They want um, speakers like you to come to their space and learn how to be future-proof, for example, um, learn how to connect with younger generations. So if I constantly think about their needs and, and talk to these people and understand, you know, what is the content that I can create for you? What do you want to get out of this experience and, and being here? Then I'm constantly putting their needs first, and I'm creating real value for them. So it's, it's more it, when, you, when you create such great value for people and they really want to be part of what you're creating, part of this movement, then they're going to be your best champions who spread your narrative far and wide um, because ultimately they're going to appreciate what you've given them um, because when you share real value, it, it's hard to put a price on that. Real value, I guess, is invaluable um, no matter what you're paying for something. And so if they can take something that you've given them, some piece of information, some sort of tool or tactic or advice, and use it and, and grow what they're working on, then they don't mind what they've paid you, um, whether it's low or high, because they've gotten so much more. Mm, very imperceptible value. Well, anyone who likes or wows any of these uh, Marissa's comments, you're, feel free to hit the like button on the Facebook Live. But um, when, you, when, you're, when you're looking, uh, Marissa, at making these kind of, of stories, th there's also this challenge of packaging it, uh, delivering it at the right time, uh, and distributing it. What you talked about repurposing before. Give us some ideas of of how best to repurpose stuff. Because, it, I mean, at some level, the marketer is stressed because they don't have enough time as it is to create the content. You're, they they systematically want one button that sort of just push and push and play. Everything pops out into all of the networks so that it's just spammed out, if you will. Are there some tricks that can help you to repurpose and leverage a great story so that it doesn't just sort of fall poof in the bottom of the lake? Sure. Um, so one thing I encourage people to do is to, you know, every day you, you've got to see what's going on in the news, um, what's at top of mind, whether even whether you're per you're pitching to journalists or you're pitching to others, everyone's involved in the news now. Um, and everyone cares about what's happening. And, and it's also on a level um, where people can't take their eyes away from it. Um, so think about how you can associate what you are doing with what's happening in the news. Um, so, for example, today I'm wearing this T-shirt with Anna Wintour on it. It's a, a WWD T-shirt. Um, she was just in the news about um, her possible exit from Vogue. And which is just a whisper, if you will. Um, and so a when long I, time coming. Well, apparently, you know, she's she's been in the business for quite some time. 
Um, so, for example, you know, when I think of that, um, I read some books about her in the past, and, you know, she's someone who always strives for excellence and mastery. And so I would say that might be among, you know, her why. Um, so we might think about, you know, what drove her for so many years to be at the height of fashion. Um, and so maybe it was about self-expression for her. You know, every day she would be wearing sunglasses, um, certain scarves to work. She would be um, at the helm of her job at Vogue, and, and everyone would be reporting to her. And she had very strong opinions about what was in fashion and what should and should not be. Um, and I imagine if, say, it were Fashion Week right now, and if, if we were a fashion brand, we could hook into that. You know, that's, that's one tangible example. Um, you know, I could talk about my client right now, a Cargo led by Kenneth Willard, who um, Cargo is a sh conscious, shoppable social media marketplace with a mission to beautify the world. And Kenneth himself um, is a renowned fashion and beauty photographer. He has a contract with Bazaar this year. He shoots J-Lo. Um, and so to him, you know, he says beauty is the essence of life. And so that's what drives him every day behind the camera. Um, so today would be a good day if we were pitching Cargo, which we're still in beta. But if we were pitching for the big launch, we could hook on to what's going on in the fashion community with Anna Wintour and use relatively newsy hook that way. Did I answer your question? Yeah, it's great. I mean, see, I mean, the general principle is the idea to see what is happening in the news that could be newsworthy and then try to identify some values or some interesting concepts that relate to you and your audience and then leverage those off. So, so and such, such and such thing happened to such and such a company or person. These are the types of values that they believe in, which happen to be the values that we like as well, and, and then move from a current event into a, a story that feeds your narrative. Exactly. I think you said it better than I did just now, Mitcher. <laughs> the benefit of just listening intently. Yeah, I mean, so at some level, uh, it, it's this concept of, of newsjacking, um, that where you, you, you're leveraging off current events to create a content that would appear in people's Facebook feeds, would then sort of somehow get some social juice behind it. Well, I don't like to think of it as newsjacking, but, I mean, that is an interesting word, um, which I've not heard before, so thank you for sharing that. But I'd like to, I like to think of it as, you know, relating to what's on people's minds. So, for example, um, when, certain, when certain big news events are happening, um, like this year's Women's March in the light of the Me Too movement, um, you know, we want people that we know and turn to as resources to, to talk about these things. And if they're disconnected to the dialogue that's happening, if they're all of a sudden mm -hmm. posting about something else, it almost seems offensive. Or it almost seems mm -hmm. like, oh, they don't really get me. I, I would have liked them to chime in and say something about this today. I would have liked to hear a personal story about what they went through in this movement. Instead, they're they're posting something right now about, um, you know, the hot dog that they're eating, and, and all of a sudden I'm not coming to this person anymore, or, or I, I find them insensitive. Mm. Well, so first of all, I need to give credit. I was just trying to remember David Meerman Scott is the uh, grandfather or the daddy of, of newsjacking as a concept. He also wrote the, the fabulous marketing lessons from The Grateful Dead, 
which I sucked up and really felt that I, I was chuffed that he wrote it, although I felt that I should have got into that. That's totally what I believe. Anyway, the point um, is, uh, the question I think that really this leads to is this notion of political views. And, um, you know, where we were on this panel in New York and talking about newsjacking and the role of journalists to tell stories, as a person, it's one thing. You know, I'm a, basically a sole trader. I mean, I, I work with my wife. It's one thing to have a political view, and maybe I, I talk to myself, and my, my right brain says to my left brain, hey, mentor, you know, what do you think? I like it, don't like it. When I come up with a viewpoint and I speak about it, and the only thing it's going to impact is me, well, per se, as opposed to when you're running a company where having a political point of view can have a lot of other ramifications. Is it? Is it? So it's a little bit easier when you're an individual, but is it your opinion then that companies need to be more political when it comes to these movements? Is it something that's new or should have always been the case? So now I think what's happened is with the election of, of Trump, um, it was so polarizing that everyone felt... I think people before might have been holding their tongue. They might have been um, not wanting to bring politics into the mix, but then they were all of a sudden so triggered into one direction or another um, that they felt that they couldn't ignore it anymore. And they felt it, it was personal to them and that by maybe um, not engaging in the past when they should have, by, by making their voices silent instead of heard, that that was a mistake. Um, and so now that, that's one factor in that everyone was so shocked into participating. Um, and then I think the other factor now is that you can't really help but be political when it's, it's coming into the workplace. Um, so sexual harassment, for example, is, is something that um, everyone needs workplace training about now. And all of these companies want to avoid being the next you know, big viral headline and realizing they need to provide the service and really make people understand what's appropriate and what's not. Um, because obviously there are certain things that are, are common sense, um, but sometimes common sense is very uncommon. Um, and so, and, and not only that, but to train people, but also to send a message to the people who work there that this will not be tolerated. And, and this is what, this is our rule book. These are our values that we're going to stick by. So, it's important for people and companies to take a stand, and it's hard for them to not be political now. All right, so when you're, if you're talking with a customer, a business person, have you had this particular conversation with any of them as to creating stories and, and driving something? Because my experience is that there's a lot of shyness, if not fear, about going towards a more political stance, unless you're the founder of a small company and you were born and bred a provocateur is one thing. But when you're working in larger organizations, um, you know, worried about shareholder returns, uh, you can tell them I'm here. <laughs> um, the challenge is making a political statement. I'm going to offend people as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, and I, I think um, you're absolutely right. It's, it's very hard to figure out where you're going to stand. Um, however, it's hard to 
not take a stance. And, and there's certain things that, um, that are, that are more challenging. So for example, um, with what's happening with, with climate change, right? A lot of people might, may or may not agree that the climate is changing or we're going through global warming, but they can agree that it's, it's good. It's a good idea to clean up the planet, that there is a lot of pollution right now and that they should do their own part. Um, and they should have programs that clean up after their company if they have some sort of negative environmental impact or they should offset their carbon footprint. Um, so that's something that they can agree to do. Everyone can agree that, that sexual harassment is wrong, right? That's, that's an issue that's not necessarily polarizing and that it should be prevented in the workplace and there should be training programs about it. Um, and then there are other issues that might be more challenging if you look at the issue of gun violence. Um, everyone can agree that, of course, shootings are wrong. But what about the right to protect ourselves, and, and what does that mean? Um, so I think it's it's good for companies to be part of these dialogues where they see fit and to show sensitivity. I think it's if brands don't show a certain sensitivity to what's happening, um, then their communities can be turned off because brands become like friends to people. Um, they become, you know, who, what communities you're a part of and what you associate with are part of your lifestyle. And so if that part of your lifestyle is going quiet or not saying something, it can be seen as, as less courageous, and that's not what you want. You want the people with you that you stand behind to stand up for what they believe in. And yet, I mean, really, Marissa, you, you and I see it on Twitter profiles regularly. These are my own opinions, nothing to do with the company. Yes, so when you see a brand should speak, really the, the ones who speak with the most integrity are the people who are representing the brand. And yet most policies seem to try to put a distance between what I say and what the corporation stands for. And it's, it's almost like, well, these are a bunch of idiots, these people working for me. Only we know what we're supposed to say. And generally speaking, we don't really want to share any emotions address any political situations because of eye backlash, legal issues, other things. So it's like, well, how does one go about galvanizing and addressing a political issue uh, as a company? So I think, I think it's important for companies to at least just do their part. I think that um, they can take a strong stance on something if, like you said, if they are a smaller brand or they have a renegade founder um, or if they're very known for, for being um, very left or very right on a certain issue and, and that's what their community is all about. Um, if they don't necessarily have that luxury, I think it's important for them to at least do their part, for them to say, we are hosting seminars on sexual harassment um, this is our sustainability statement. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we would like to be doing in 20 years. Um, and then for, for other issues that may or may not touch them, right? Um, and this is, this is where people might disagree with me dramatically on, say, gun violence. Um, you know, I, I, don't ne I don't necessarily have an answer on what to advise on that. Um, if they're a school, it's, it's likely very important that they put out a statement about that. Um, if they have a building with tight security, if they are an airline. Um, those are industries that touch it very closely where saying something can be very important. But say if you're L'Oreal, 
I'm not sure if you're selling makeup, if you need to comment on what's going on with guns. But certainly on the Me Too movement with women and certainly on what's happening with the environment is here, shipping, shipping millions of packages a day. Yeah, so find, find relevant areas where you can legitimately participate in the conversation. At the end of the day, if you are jumping in all of the hot, trendiest topics, it's going to be no better than saying, well, yeah, Hitler was a bad guy. Right. So it's like, well, yeah, so, so what? You're just, you know, contributing to the noise out there, and, and you have no better legitimacy to be talking about it than anyone else. And so you're just trying to, you're being trendy as opposed to being authentic almost. And so move along. Exactly. Um, definitely. And, and you hit the most important thing, um, to be authentic and not trendy. So it, by participating in the conversations that you're authentically a part of and that you care about, um, then you're, you're piggybacking on what's happening on the news without news jacking. Wouldn't you say at some level that, um, as you said before, if you're not saying something, then that means you're hiding something? I don't know. Well, it, it could mean that you're hiding something. It could. Um, but it also might mean that you might want to sit this one out. Um, because mm. if you don't necessarily feel that you, if, if you're L'Oreal and you're not sure what to say about what's happening with guns, then maybe don't say something. Certainly don't say something for the sake of saying something. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I, I, I tend to promote when I talk to companies is to, is to allow employees to speak on behalf of the company a lot more than just the comms department, that, you know, the mm-hmm. specialized marketing team, because ultimately the people are who you are and they should be encouraged to spread their word. So if you, if you hire effectively and you are able to share internally the narrative that you think is relevant with some credibility and authenticity, as you just said, then, then allow your people to express themselves and become part of the, the movement. And then amongst other things, you'll bring your company to the fore more within that ocean of conversation. Certainly. Um, and I think, you know, companies can't avoid, cannot avoid doing that because um, as you hire younger generations, they're very active. They're very socially active and they care about what's happening. Um, and they're going to have their own opinions and they're not going to hide them no matter who they work for. Um, and so they, they themselves are separate. They have a separate identity from their organization than, say, a founder would. But they still do have their own why, and they do connect to their organizational why. Um, but their why outside of work is, is free and open to be part of whatever conversation that they choose to stand behind. Um, and, and companies cannot prevent that from happening. It's not an easy business, Marissa. All right, listen, how, thanks for coming on the show and uh, making this happen, uh, our first, my first Facebook Live podcast. My first Facebook Live, too. All right, brilliant. So what's the best way for someone to follow you or get in touch with you, Marissa? Sure. Um, my handles across social media are the same, at Marissa Feinberg. It's good to have a somewhat different kind of name, is it not? Sure. I, I guess it's, 
There is another Marissa Feinberg out there. Um, she's blonde and she has a mugshot on the internet. Um, oh. So, so luckily we don't look alike. Right. Well, you know, that goes to establishing your personal brand ahead is a good way to get ahead of that kind of a mess. This is true. All right, Marissa, thanks very much. Thank you for having me, Minter. It's been an honor. Be in touch. All right, bye. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Josh Sachs's Finger Paint. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of
Hi, my name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.